0: In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command... Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth.
1: So uh, as I said earlier, we're going to be watching a video, so you guys can pop that up on the screen there. Just, And I'll introduce Mikey for you. So uh, Mikey is actually a Tasmanian uh, evangelist and blogger. He's the campus director of the Fellowship of, of uh, Christians at UTas. Uh, he's also involved in the Geneva Push uh, movement. He's been involved in the uh, Vision 100 uh, church planning network down in Hobart uh, and uh, was the senior pastor at Crossroads Presbyterian Church in Hobart as well. So um, many of you may have heard Mikey before or seen Mikey before um, or possibly his brother Dave who is, um, is also a minister down in Hobart. Uh, Mikey will be opening for us Acts 1, 1 to 1-8, uh, and as I said, we're going to cut the last little bit of it off because that application is really around church leadership, but there's a lot of application there that comes before that that is for all of us. Um, so um, it is a, always a little bit difficult when it's not someone physically in front of you. Um, there are note sheets there. There's five points for this sermon, um, but don't worry, it doesn't go for an hour, all right? Um, so just uh, keep tracking along there with Mikey as we look at Acts 1, to 1-8. Thanks, Ben.
2: Names are, ...is hard. Some of you here have just had kids, congratulations. Some of you are soon to have kids and the conversations are about the names you choose, right? And it's, uh, you, you'll find a name, you fall in love with a name, you'll mention the name to your partner and they'll go, oh... Just there was a kid called that in grade four. He used to always pick his nose in class and flick it at me. Can't be that name. And then they come back with another name, and you go, "Oh, actually, there was a TV show I watched, and the the bully in that was that name." And eventually you know, she gets the name she chooses and, and you agree with that and and, and along, along it goes. And it's the same, those of you who are giving birth to churches, picking the name for the church and then the logo for the church and that's, you know, some of the first tensions in um, core group life is figuring out what are we going to call, um, <laughs> what are we going to call the church? Um, and uh, and so that's enough. Naming organisations is still another, I know, I helped found something called the Geneva Push uh, originally our conference was called In The Shoot and so the whole thing sounded like Geneva Push. It sounded uh, like a home birth network or something. <laughs> it, it, it was, but, but the good thing is after a while you, the, the movement fills the name with its own connotations and you forget that it's a dumb name and it's fine. <laughs> reach Australia on the other hand is prosaic but it's exactly what we're aiming to do. <laughs> we do want to reach Australia, and add to that a beautiful logo that even includes Tasmania, <laughs> which, if you're if you're a little sensitive to that, you, you notice every time it gets left off. Uh, Flinders Island are a little upset with you, um, but. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Another organisation uh, that I think has an excellent name that very much captures the theme of today's message um, is an is a international church planting network called Acts 29. Now, when people first hear that organisation's name, Acts 29, you know, they're not maybe super familiar with, um, with the chapters of every book of the Bible. They might go, oh, I guess somewhere in Acts chapter 29 there's a verse about church planting. And they just go, oh, that'll do. That sounds great. I might memorise Acts 29, verse 7, sometime. But of course, the cleverness of the name is that there is no Acts 29. (laughs) We're in Acts 29. (laughs) The point is, Acts ends at chapter 28, and now we are in the age of the rest of Acts. We're now writing Acts chapter 29, as we, with this task we've been given now have to go, not just from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Rome, but to the ends of the earth, even Tasmania. (laughs) Um, And uh, and we're now in that stage of Jesus is risen, the Spirit's poured out, the task has been given, and until he returns, we are now continuing on in the book of Acts. We're now continuing on with the mandate, the mission, the charge of the book of Acts. It's a great name, hey. Um, And and so that's really, you could could say, the theme of of this morning and as we kick off this conference to think about what does it mean to be living then in Acts 29 as we think about the task we've been given. The fact of Jesus' resurrection sets a time that we're now living in which brings with it the power of the Holy Spirit Which then gives us then a task to do with the scope of the whole world. The fact of the resurrection. Back to the, come up to Luke, the first of those readings, Luke 24, um, and we see there that uh, the task we've been given um, uh, all rests on the fact that Jesus really has risen from the dead. Look at how Luke makes a point of that in his story here. Luke 24 verse um, 37, they were startled when they saw Jesus amongst them and they were frightened thinking they'd seen a ghost. Is this just a ghost, a spirit, a, a vision? But Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? Why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? And look at my hands, look at my feet. It's I, myself, touch me. Not a ghost. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed his hands, showed his feet, and while they still didn't believe because of the joy and the amazement, he asked them, well, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He really has risen from the dead. Physically risen, gloriously risen. Jesus is alive, physical, actual, just as had been promised. That's what he says there, verse 44. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything had to be fulfilled. The resurrection has come. The fact of Jesus' resurrection is then an evidence of his claims. I told you this would happen. Everything had to be fulfilled... And now check it out, it's getting fulfilled. Verse 44, everything that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, and he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This is what it is written, verse 46, the Messiah will suffer, the Messiah will rise from the dead, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Evidence of the truth of his claim as Messiah, as the great Messiah who would fulfill the scriptures. It's the same kind of thing we see there in Acts 1 and verse 3. Luke tells us in 1 verse 3 that after his suffering, he presented himself to them, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. It's it's truth of his claims. And it becomes then part of the evidence for Luke's claims, doesn't it? I mean, you, you would be familiar with this, that part of the way Luke pictures his book, Luke and Acts, is to say, I want to tell you everything that I've researched, I've investigated, I've met with people, I've talked with people. Um, it seems he's read things that have been written, pulls it all together, so you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught, Theophilus. Yeah? And so the resurrection of Jesus is showing us the certainty of the truths of this, this glorious message. Yeah? I want you to know, to be convinced, to be persuaded Jesus is alive. And so that all the promises, all the blessings, all the benefits that were going to come with Jesus' ministry really are here. And so the apostles' job then is to be witnesses, literally witnesses, to what they've seen. They've actually seen, touched, touched eaten with, heard the risen Lord Jesus. They saw him on earth and all he did and taught. They saw him on the cross, faithful to the end, comp- committing his spirit to his father. And now they see him risen and taken to heaven one day to return. They can literally say, we are eyewitnesses. Witnessing for them was quite literally witnessing. 1 verse 8, you will be my witnesses. Or in verse 21 and 22, that's part of the, 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 the way they chose the replacement Judas was that the people um, who could possibly replace Judas had to be people who'd witnessed the baptism, the ministry, the death and the resurrected Jesus in 1 verses 21 and 22. But the evidence here, that the, the resurrection here, the fact of this glorious miracle, it's not... It's not just a proof for a sceptic. You know? It's not sort of like, ha, huh, Jesus came back to, from the death, here's all the evidence, therefore God exists after all. You know, It's not just that. Or Jesus rose from the dead, um, therefore Christianity is true in particular after all. It's not just an evidence that demands a verdict more than a carpenter, reason for God sort of um, proof thing. The miracle of Jesus' resurrection has a meaning or a significance in God's work in the world by its very isness, by its very fact. The fact that Jesus risen means something. It doesn't prove something else. It means something in itself. It means uh, that the time has come. There is a new season that we are in the age now of the resurrected Christ. So secondly, the time the time of fulfilment, right? Everything that's written about me, Jesus said, the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, has now come true. We're now in the age where all that's written has come true. Christ suffer, Christ rise, the good news will be preached to the ends of the earth. That's the, the time in God's timetable has been unlocked. But as the, the discussion and the teaching in Acts chapter 1 puts it, the time has come in this interesting two-stage way, hasn't it? You know, where it's they see Jesus alive and they think, well, it's on. Is now the time? Well, is it the question there? You see it the way they frame it in verse 6. Um, They're gathering around him. They say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this everything? Isaiah 40 to 66. Pff, is it all going to happen? The Mount of Olives split in two like Zechariah 14 and, and the, 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 the glorious... The, plowshares, the spears and all this, is that all going to happen now? Peace will come across the whole earth, the Messiah will rule all and is that, well some things are now some things not yet right some things Jesus says we can't know when they will finally, fully, completely happen, verse 7 it's not for you to know the time or date set by my Father and yet There are some things that will dawn now. I don't think verse eight is a change of subject. Hey, look, kingdom restored to Israel? We don't know about that. Anyway, let's talk about something else. You'll (laughs) be—that's not the point, is it? The point is the 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 final restoration, as you understand it. No, that's not yet. But um, but the beginning of that work is dawning. The kingdom is drawing nearer now, as you are my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, through the preached word. A similar thing in Acts three, three verse 19. Acts three verse 19, and now and are not yet there. Repent then. Repent then, and turn to God, Acts 3:19, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who's been appointed for you, even Jesus, heaven must receive him until the time for God to restore, comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his prophets. Yeah. So repent now, be re- forgiven now, refreshed now, blessed now as you wait. We're now in the time of the resurrection, the time of the Spirit. So thirdly, the power of the Spirit now has come. The power of the Spirit. The fact of Jesus' resurrection brings the time of this fulfilment age and with that it's the time of the giving of the Spirit. He mentions this back in Luke 24, doesn't he? Where he says, "Uh, wait, wait for the gift to come. Wait to be clothed with power from on high. 24 verse 49, wait for that power to come. And then in Acts chapter 1, similarly, he says um, uh, in verse 5, Uh, John baptised with water but in a few days you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit verse 8 you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria the ends of the earth he's pointing us back to John the Baptist's promise John the Baptist said back in Luke three, "I tell you what, coming soon, coming soon will be one who who um, will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and now that 's happening. What John promised, John the Baptist promised, and uh, baptized Jesus and recognized him as the spirit came upon Jesus as a dove, recognizing him as the one who would then baptize with power with the Spirit. Now is the age of the resurrected Christ pouring out his spirit." on all people. So Acts two is the fulfilment of this, right? Acts two fourteen, Peter stood up and said, Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you what's just happened, the, the tongues of fire and the speaking in other languages. Listen to this. These people aren't drunk, it's only nine in the morning. But rather this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Sons and daughters will prophesy, young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams, even on servants, men and women. I'll pour out my spirit in those days and I'll prophesy. All people now, filled with the spirit like prophets, all. Verse 33, because Jesus is risen and exalted to the right hand of God, has received the spirit from the Father and pours it out. So, all that helps us think a little about what it means for the Spirit to come with power. What does it mean to say the Spirit will come, you'll be clothed with power? What's the particular role of the Spirit in the task we've been given? It's not, in the first place, particularly miraculous ability. That's not particularly in Luke's writing, in Acts' story. It's not, you'll receive power and then you'll be able to do remarkable miracles. Prophesy, speak in languages, heal people. I mean, first of all, the prophesying and the speaking in different languages, that's a sign that you've got the Spirit. It's not that you get the Spirit in order to do that, but rather that's an evidence that you have the Spirit. And it then comes again in Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 20, each time, oh, Acts 19, each time to show the Spirit has come uh, to all people. No, no, that, that's not, you don't get the power of the Spirit to talk in different languages. Not particularly. And true, God does work through the apostles and some others to do testifying signs. Yeah. But it's not their main job. He doesn't say, you will be my witnesses, the power will come upon you and you will do miracles in Jerusalem, Judea. It's not that when Paul summarises his work, he doesn't say, you guys know what I did in Acts 20, chats to the Ephesian elders. He doesn't say, remember, remember my work among you all the time, publicly and from house to house, healing and prophesying. And No, that the task they're given is the focus is on the preaching and teaching which the signs testify to. And anyway, largely miracles are said to be the work of God or the name of Jesus in Acts, not particularly the Spirit. Of course God can work to do remarkable things. Maybe some here you have stories of how God has worked to do remarkable things. He's God. And I mean I've never been in a church conservative um, or fundamentalist or Sydney Anglican that hasn't prayed for God to heal hasn't prayed for God to make the way plain for us in wisdom and hasn't prayed that God would do remarkable things of course we do he's the mighty Lord but the particular interest here in Acts, is the power of the Spirit comes down upon the apostles and then through them, onto the Samaritans, onto the, um, uh, the Gentiles, onto us, to bring new life, new being, to be a new people, spirit-filled, drawn close to God as his, uh, his last days people, his new covenant, his spirit people, renewed and Transformed. That's what John was talking about, wasn't it? The fire to burn away wickedness and sin, the fire of purification and, and judgment, the spirit of new life. Baptism's just a symbol, yeah of washing away the spirits, the real, the, the full pouring out of the blessing of God. Now, of course, God the Spirit is at work in all creation. In that sense, everybody has the Spirit as the creative God holding all things together. And of course, the Spirit was at work, must have been at work, when anyone ever trusted in the promises of Old Testament Scripture. He was at work then, surely, to enable any sinner to believe God and have it credited to them as righteous, sure. But now in the final age... The Messiah come, died, risen, ascended. Now this final phase in God's timetable where the, the full reality of God's saving work and promises is now known and achieved and given, not looked for, but now arrived. We have the Spirit in a fuller, richer sense, the Spirit of Sonship, the Spirit of the Messiah, the Spirit of the last days, so that all of us can be Sons and daughters, prophets, priests, kings. And so they come now, clothed with the power of the Spirit at work in this fulfilment way, preaching a message that anyone who hears it receives the Spirit in this fulfilment way. He's at work in their words, at work in their message, at work in their hearers. So that just as quite visibly in Acts 9, the Spirit comes on Saul and scales fall from his eyes, so whenever our hearers receive the gospel, the Spirit is at work in power, opening blind eyes and giving you birth and drawing in close to God himself And so our lives can then be described as we live out a mature Christian life like Stephen's described, full of the Spirit. That we then are marked as people filled with and full of and reflecting the Spirit in our words and deeds and thoughts and communities. But there's another thing in Acts 2 uh, um, about the Spirit's work. That's the big one. I think we've got to say that's the big one, that the power is just being God's Spirit-anointed people, uh, fully touched by God's, uh, the full blessing of God's work in Christ and able to bring that to others, right? That's the big thing. But we also have a, an extra gift of the Spirit to strengthen and encourage and empower in the work of courageously preaching. That's through Acts 2. Jesus promises back in Luke 12. You might want to come back to Luke 12. Doubtless you know the kind of passage across the, the Gospels uh, anyway. The, the, the passage where Jesus promises in Luke 12:11, When you're brought before synagogues and rulers and authorities... Do not worry how you'll defend yourselves or what you'll say for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. The Spirit at work strengthening and providing the words to say, this promise given to the apostles that is then fulfilled as we see their experience. Acts 4 verse 8, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit before the Sanhedrin stands up and speaks rulers and elders of the people. Speaks boldly. We'll look at that later on this week. 431. Again, the, the whole Christian community as they pray that the place's meeting is shaken and they're filled with the Spirit and Speak the Word of God boldly. Six verse ten. Stephen, um, uh, they couldn't stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Yeah, he can do remarkable things, miraculous things, yeah? Yeah, he's more wonderfully and fundamentally at work in new birth and new life and intimacy with God, applying the benefits of Jesus' work, yeah. And he's at work in all sorts of ways. To give the word to say, to give the courage to stand, yeah? To give the insight to speak, We don't need to uh, always be able to mark when it was God providentially being with us and so on or or when it's a miraculous intervention. Either way, it's from God. Either way, it's wonderful that God in many and various ways cares for, provides, equips, supports, strengthens you to be able to stand firm in the Gospel, speak for the Gospel, come out as a Christian not hesitate to stand on the truth in face of opposition. That God is at work according to this task we're given to enable us to continue to persevere in that work. What great encouragement. Because of the fact of the resurrection, Uh, it's now the time of the Spirit and, and, and the last days. And so we have the power of the Spirit at work for this task, for heading the task. Now, the apostles themselves, their task was eyewitnesses. We've already said that, haven't we? They saw it. We're witnesses of these things, they say, in Acts 2, 32, or 532. In fact, 532 is interesting. It's we and the Spirit together testify Spirit saw it, we saw it, he in us is speaking. Um, similar to Cornelius in 10 39 and 43, we saw it. We saw it. We're witnesses to it. But it doesn't stay with the apostles. When Saul scatters the church in chapter 8, suddenly those who are scattered, uh, all except the apostles, scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And they're scattered throughout. And verse 4, 8 verse 4, those who were scattered preached the word where they went. Or Acts verse 11, the the fact that as as Christians disperse, Acts 11 verse 19, those who'd been scattered by the persecution, broken out by Stephen, travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, spreading uh, the word only amongst Jews, but some, Went to Antioch, 11:20, and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So much so that actually it gets found out about secondhand, doesn't it? Both in Act 8 and Acts 11, the apostles go, "Oh, what's got what was what now?" And then they go. Not, as sadly sometimes our denominations do, go to find out what God's up to and stop it immediately. Um, but, but go to find, discover, support, invest, be encouraged and empower what's going on much better, as some of our denominations do too. Um, uh, in fact, that was our experience in Tasmania. When, when me and a bunch of others came to faith, God was at work, powerfully converting Many years ago, in the deepest, darkest 1990s, It was all hyper color and stussy pants and rollerblades. And, um, and, uh, and it caused a lot of tension in this church, a lot of tension between more conservative types and new converts. And would you believe it? The denomination stepped in, mediated, and advised church planting. Isn't that awesome? They actually helped manage a, 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 a fraught situation in a way that led to the spread of the gospel and the renewal of a presbytery. Isn't that great? The Spirit was at work in that, wasn't he? Praise God. Yay, denominations. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the spread goes, the preaching of the word goes beyond the apostles' testimony. And it's a preaching, this task. Notice it's not just preach the facts. It's not just, Jesus is risen, he's now the Lord, do with it what you will. (laughs) The elect will know. (laughs) Um, I'll just preach the word and the response will happen. Notice what Jesus says about how he describes the preaching in Luke 24. The message that will be preached... It's not Luke 24 verse 46, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and the message of his suffering and rising will be preached. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. Gospel preaching is not a declaration, a bold declaration of the facts but the facts, their significance and the The necessary response. Yeah? Jesus is risen. Be assured of this. That means times of refreshing may come and judgment is soon. So repent and turn back to God. Put trust in the one place you can flee from the wrath of the Lamb, which is the Lamb. You want to be faithful? You want to be faithful? Then preach the resurrection. Preach its significance and call for response. Call for response. Seek repentance and forgiveness of sins. That they were charged with the task we've been given, the work of the book of Acts, is to proclaim and to persuade and to call and to warn for tears. It goes beyond preaching, of course. There's the debating, the discussing, the publicly, the from house to house. And all through the New Testament, there's this one anothering, isn't there? Of in all many and various ways, the message is spoken and response is invited and called. Fifth and briefest, as we move into a time of rubbing this in at the conclusion of our time this morning. um, Fifth is the scope of this task. Jesus is risen, it's now the final days, the age of the resurrection and the Spirit. The Spirit's been given with this task to preach and call to respond. Where to? What's the scope of it? Everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And That's kind of Stephen's point in Acts 7, isn't it? Where Stephen says, hey, you know, like God was never locked up in a tent or a temple. He was always on the move. He appeared even before there was a tent or a temple. And now, his, his Messiah is, a, is at the right hand of God, above any nation, any temple, any tent, any uh, um, holy place or human institution or building or structure. He's the Lord of all the earth, risen over all the earth. The whole earth now is the theatre of his work and his salvation. The whole earth is now to be filled with the glory of the Lord as the gospel is preached and the Spirit given. There's now a centrifugal force at work, except as the physics students at UTAS always tell me, centrifugal force is technically not a force at all, but a pseudo-force. So unlike a centrifugal force, (laughs) there is actually truly an amazing force, the force of God himself at work. Christ's love compels us. The spirit compels us, leads us in his great work in the world. The preaching of his son and the saving of many. That's a sober mandate, brothers and sisters, that we have. A massive mandate that we have. It's a good mandate, a glorious task. However, however we think about the important place for theological precision and ecclesiastical good order, and however we think about secular work and political influence and enjoying God's good creation, And however we value spiritual intimacy and meditation and maturing and and all these things, we must feel the weight of this commission. We must feel it strongly and clearly and powerfully. It cannot be squeezed out or turned down or put to one side as if it's not really for you. How does it shape you? How does it shape me? This, this is now the age we're in. Whatever else this is the time for, it's a time for this. How does it shape our prayer? Our giving? Our lives? Our lifestyle?
1: Some tough questions of reflection there for us on how this actually shapes us. Um, Mikey goes on and talks directly to the leaders of the churches who are there around how they can shape that within their churches. I want us to conclude this time of teaching by us reflecting on how this shapes us as individuals and also collectively as a church. How does the fact that Christ is risen, that the time for the fulfilment of things that are now and not yet is now, that we have the power of the Spirit today and that we have that same task of actually going and sharing the Gospel. A real encouragement for me from what Mikey said was the reminder that the Spirit's work in us helps us to strengthen and encourage each other in the task that we have speaking the truth in love. It's not just the preaching from the pulpit, but it's the interactions with each other. It's the conversations with our work colleagues and our neighbors and it's all the work of the Spirit in bringing God's chosen people to himself.